let me take a look at your new character. Looks like you're a forged domain cleric. Uthgard tribe member background. Backstory says you are seeking the riddle of steel. I guess that makes you a generic, esoteric, ferric, barbaric cleric named Garrick. Hello and welcome to another great episode of the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I am Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And for today's topic, we've got the cure for what ails you. Uh. <laughs> if that doesn't uh, clue you in on what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about clerics today. Could be paladins. They can lay on hands, too. That's true, but they're not quite the uh, the overall big medic kit that the no. cleric is. Yeah. Sometimes I should, uh, you know, maybe level charges when that happens, too. So. <laughs> clerics used to be my favorite class. Used to be. In 3.5. Okay. 3.5, they were awesome. We'll talk about that. All right. Okay. But first, we need to talk a little bit about what we've been doing outside the realms of D&D with our segment, Games People Play. All right. So uh, what have you guys been playing in the last couple of weeks? You know, I discovered a new computer game. Um, you know, I've been doing Kerbal Space Program pretty heavy because that's a fun game. But you've been uh, doing that for quite a while now, right? Yeah, it's it's like it, it's been around a while. Minecraft for, for rocket ships. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's this new game out called Outward, and it's actually a one or co-op RPG, but it's really hard. Like you start with the dagger killing the birdie creatures, and you still die. Um, it's and they did it on purpose. There's no overhead map. If you hit M, it shows you the map of the area, but not where you're at on it or anything like that. It's just a, a fixed map. Um, you have to figure things out as you go along. Very reminiscent of like the early, the first Bard's Tale, hmm. you know, where everything's like new and, and recipes. You just have to figure it out. You can, you know, obviously you can go and cheat online for for stuff like that but it's it's a different experience so it's kind of a maker game where you have to make things to survive it's a quasi and, and survival game you still have like a almost like a world of warcrafty thing where you're building up your armor mm -hmm. you can purchase skill trainers and there's different builds but i'm nowhere near there yet people people have played about a hundred hours on it they say that's how long it takes to finish so it's not limitless but it's a small company called nine dots um what turned you on to it i read about it online so somebody had mentioned it, and they specifically said it has that old-school RPG feel. Interesting. Nice. Well, uh, speaking of old-school, I mean, unless you've got something no, more. No. Uh, I, I have other stuff, but yeah. that's the games I've been playing. <laughs> I have been kind of uh, wanting to give a little life to some of those games. I've got a lot of games, and I'm really into the, a lot of the new games that are coming out, and I'm enjoying them, but uh, every once in a while I'll see one of these games kind of peeking out from one of the corners of my shelves, and it says play me. And one of those is the flip book called Ace of Aces. And it's a uh, World War II based game. It's a it's a picture book. Uh, you essentially start on a page. You're flying a World War I, World War One biplane, or maybe it's a triplane, depending on which book you pick up. It You're, could be a monoplane. Could be a monoplane. It could be, That's depending yeah. on... Eindecker. Yes, depending on the uh, the version of the game. I've got the Handy Rotary series and the Powerhouse series. Which colors are those? Uh, that's the black and the brown. Okay. And then there's the Flying Machines, which is the green, which I'm kind of wanting to get. Uh, it's the Flying Machines. Those are the, uh, the pusher planes. 
Um, I actually have this too. I used to play this. Uh, I the only one I have is the Green Book. Really? To start with, I started with the Green Book. No kidding. Which back in the day was the easy one to find because nobody wanted it because those are lame planes. <laughs> now, um, if our listeners don't know about this, so basically it's two books. Yes, you have a little horizontal format. Has a plane, right. and you pick like essentially a maneuver. Yes. So you based got, on your position, you keep there's the, yeah. the books track your relative position. Yeah, there's little other. arrows on the bottom, exactly. and you pick which way to go, and it tells you what page to go. It's kind of it's like I call it. I used to call it choose your own maneuver, right? Yeah. Instead of adventure, yeah. and you they're start, a lot of fun, and it's a it's a pretty cool concept. Yeah, you start on a uh, a beginning page, you pick your maneuver, and that sends you to a mid page, which does not have maneuver. You match up what. Uh, uh, on that page, what maneuver you had, and then you should both end up on the same page after three turns of a page, and at that point, you then have a visual cue as to where you're at, and then you can do your maneuvers from there. Ideally, you're supposed to get them in a close-range area, shoot them down after, I think it's five or six points. Uh, they've got a uh, intermediate and an advanced set of pages, or a, a set of rules, and it's a really great little game. It can be played in about 15 minutes, I think. It was, where I'm reading here, that it was uh, entered into the uh, Games of the Millennium. Right. It was like one of the top games of the millennium. Now, when did that come out? 1980. Yeah, it was pretty early. There was another series also that did fighting, like the same deal, mm-hmm. but with oh, like swordsmen nice. and fighters That and sounds stuff. familiar. Yeah, there's yeah. an Old West gunfighting one. Uh, that's the, Okay, that's the one I remember, the Old West You one. used to play that one? No, I didn't play I knew somebody that had it, but I, and I'd seen it, but uh, I did the airplane game. Okay, all right. And they've also done with with uh, Dragon Riders of Pern. Really? Yes. Oh. So mm. you could be a Dragon Rider and doing this. Hmm. I was organizing my game room, and I found my Atlas of Pern sitting oh, in nice. one, of the, one of the crates. Yeah. But what I think is interesting about this is much like the game that you were playing, it's, it's kind of like a split-screen co-op game in terms of uh, modern computer games. Yeah. And console games. It's really a lot of fun. And the fact that you can just pick it up, you don't have to really know how to play the game at all you just say here's your maneuvers figure it out from there and it's a lot of fun and it's one of the things that i've been really interested in doing is kind of picking up some of these old games that deserve a little bit more life instead of just sitting and collecting dust on my game shelf and it's easy to transport Yes, (laughs) unlike the backseat of my car that has all my DD stuff in it. And if you're looking for one of these games on eBay, be ready to pay about seventy-five to a hundred bucks. Yeah, I was shocked at the prices. Yeah, the game that you have, Greg, is actually not worth that much. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, that's how I. Yep, that's the easy one. (laughs) Grognars have disposable income now. (laughs) I did. uh, I did pick up the blue one uh, about a year and a half ago. I just haven't. uh, Was that the balloon buster? Uh, I don't remember. I know there's. I always describe them by color. There's the blue and the yellow and the red one, and the green one. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted the red one. I think the red one's the triplane. Could be, yeah. probably. Could but, be. Uh, so what have you been playing? Um, well, Gray? not a whole lot. I missed uh, missed Star. I'm I'm that guy this time, and I missed Star Wars uh, on our last run because I was at uh, Star Wars Celebration. So I. I think you can be forgiven. forgiven. That's like an excused yeah. absence at that yes. point. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, I uh, saw some really amazing game stuff there from uh, Fantasy Flight. They had a huge, huge booth that was constantly swamped by people trying to get the con exclusives. We uh, On Easter, my mom was over, and we uh, usually try to play some kind of game or something like that. And my wife actually uh, pulled out some playing cards, and we learned a nice, simple game. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of 80 Cents. Never heard of it. Which, Never of, heard of, of it. course, pull out all kinds of, you know, 50 cent 
cracks from everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we should, it's just a real simple um, kind of rummy-like card game that has a progression to where each hand you get more and more cards and you have to create runs or sets and it was it was a nice little card game and it but it kept us entertained for about three hours sometimes the easiest games to learn are the ones that are the most it's always fun when you're learning a new game too yeah and it was nice and simple so nobody you know break down on any rules and the only other thing i've done is uh you know eric's bi-weekly game where in our last run i think we may have been the dumbest players ever oh, oh, in the history guys. of role playing. I yeah. mean, yeah. we are setting new standards for making bad choices yeah, you, and uh and and bad die rolls and just it was it was appalling. Yeah. <laughs> so they uh, you know, just they they've bl- forged blindly ahead, have essentially trapped themselves in a beholder lair and this beholder wants to be left alone, so he made a 40-foot domed chamber with holes in the ceiling. And there's another void behind there. So he just moves around and shoots his eye beams through the holes. <laughs> and they're not sure how they're going to kill him yet. Yeah, and we have to go through a door, which is a lovely natural choke point for this. So, uh, yeah, um, we're, yeah. Uh, we've, we've had the living crap beat out of us. I, I was five feet short of dropping two characters in a pool of acid. Yeah, yeah, that acid sucked. The acid really sucked. Um, <laughs> Sounds like you're doing it to yourself, Greg. Uh, yes, I am, actually. Um, since I'm the one who always tends to go ahead as the I'm the, I'm the well, rogue in the group and, you know, the only person who can sneak, the only person who can In the middle stick of the, walls the and, penultimate fight, Greg did decide to open the door to the boulders <laughs> la- beholder's lair just to see what was on the other side of the yeah, door, which that, brought the beholder into the fight. Yeah, that was strictly just a character thing, I think. And my character at this point was just, he was so beat around, he panicked and I thought, and he just wanted out of that room. I just, he just, he freaked out and decided to run and... Into the, the layer door. of the... And um, I mean, honestly, yeah. the only thing I think we would all easily be dead if it wasn't for uh, Keith Pogue's character, which happens to be, be the only cleric that I'm familiar with. <laughs> and that's a the great we start segue. Talking about, yeah. All right. Well, that was our segment, <laughs> Games People Play. Okay. So clerics have a pretty long history. One of the... Not they weren't a class at the very beginning of the game, but pretty quickly in ODD, original D and D, one of the players wanted to make a vampire hunter because another character had a vampire, um, and you know they were big about balance. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know the vampire was apparently pretty powerful, so they brought Sir Feng onto the stage. So one of the characters was a vampire. Yeah, the early D and D, you know, people always you get these rule Nazis with fifth edition, and it cracks me up because they literally did anything they wanted. Mm-hmm. Merlund was a gunslinger. He was like out of the like a western. He walked out, of, and here's a dude that just carried pistols and, and used it. They, they didn't care. <laughs> yeah, you you didn't have all the it was rules. A game. Yeah, you, know, you didn't have this giant tome of rules to break. You exactly. were making up your own rules. And you know, uh, expedition to the barrier peaks which uh, they're coming out with that hardcover mm-hmm. for, which I'm very excited. That's a friggin' spaceship with laser pistols. <laughs> you know, that's the kind... So anyway... I keep hearing about that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a fun adventure, and I'm looking forward to getting that one. But So they needed a, something to fight the vampire. So it came in uh, surfing. Now, right away, Gygax wanted to restrict the weapon types of the clerics. And a lot of the people think that's based on Archbishop Turpin, that's the thing. But in fact, 
It's not. Archbishop Turpin used a sword, and his sword had a name. I don't remember what it was. Right. Uh, oh, wait, all, all Mace, I think it was. So his sword was named All Mace. So <laughs> I'm sure it's not pronounced that way. Um, <laughs> but it's actually based on Odo of, the, uh, of Bayou, based on the Bayou Tapestry. He has a mace in his hand. Who knows what thoughts were going on, you know. And I'm sure all of those other demi-human races and gods had the same restriction for their clerics, right? They did, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, just in the, yeah, in the fantasy in world. In the fantasy. Yeah. yeah. But it was probably just some arbitrary choice on the person uh, stitching the tapestry. They were just probably tired of doing swords. Swords, you know, threw a mace, mace. Ran, yeah. ran out of material and made the end of the mace a different it, sword. It always color. cracked me up as a, as a teenager, because you're into, like, gore and stuff <laughs> as teenagers. Yeah. Um, and they were like, well, shit, clerics have to use blood weapons because they can't shed blood. But they can bash your brain Yeah, in. so I'm pretty sure if you smack somebody in the head with a mace, <laughs> you're gonna there's see blood. some blood. Yeah, there's some blood force trauma, but there's going to be blood. <laughs> so I, I guess it's like it's like paper cuts, but a little worse. Yeah. I, you know, they're not allowed to do that. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. We um, had that same discussion all the time, and we never got around it. It just ended up being like... Who the hell cares? Yeah, and you see that now with the druids and the non-metal armor. I see a lot of discussions. Can druids wear this? Can druids wear, you know, can I get plate mail made out of bone? You know, <laughs> it's just some silly. If you're going to go against the sort of spirit of the rule, spirit of the rule then uh, whatever, do whatever you want. <laughs> but apparently clerics couldn't use edge weapons for, for many editions. Um, the original concept was to be a combination of the fighting man and the magic user. So they could wear that heavy armor and they could cast spells. And I think a lot of times we forget that clerics can get pretty heavily armored. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were good at that. They were sort of that backup fighter um, early in, in D&D's history because they had that heavy armor. They had that shield. Swing um, over into support character sometimes since you're doing all the healing. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, they're, they're handy to have around. So AD&D, they were one of the five core classes. We brought them in, you know, fighter, cleric. Thief, magic user, and I'm missing one. Uh, those four. Wizard? I forget. I forget what the last one was. Um, but, uh, wow. And there <laughs> it was pretty clearly based on the, the religious orders of the Middle Ages. You know, the Templars or the Hospitallers. You look at the artwork from back then. Yeah. You know, and some of the cleric artwork's pretty awesome. Uh, there's that one iconic picture of a, uh, where they're in hell and there, there's a, Oh, yeah, fighting. Right, you know? yeah. That might be a paladin. But. I think it's a paladin because he's carrying a sword. Yeah, and he's got it, like, buried into the shoulder of the demon. Yeah. They got a D8 for hit dice, which was sort of nice. It's, Stepping back just a little yeah. bit, the last time I played a character, or a cleric character, was in AD&D First Edition. And I think it was because of that whole Knights Templar, that uh, holy order that attracted me. And when it kind of got away from that, it didn't really get away from it. It kind of morphed into something different. That was a... I never played Clerics it again. Have, have gone through a lot of subtle changes. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that, I think, especially from hitting third and hitting fourth and hitting fifth. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it's also the line between cleric and paladin has been fuzzy at times uh, because there, there's a lot of crossover yeah. in their abilities. Uh, we talked about the healing and the religious overtones too. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that because I'm going to be more of a. Um, 
an avid listener of this podcast as opposed to a you know somebody who's <laughs> going to contribute a lot because seriously well, the last we'll time I played one. Your, your deep knowledge of games yeah um so in this in AD and D Archbishop Turpin is sort of your best example he he was a member of the clergy who was mm-hmm. also a warrior right that's really what clerics are based off of as opposed to um, like a knight templar who is sort of in a religious order but they're not they're not a priest or a a cleric, in they're, they, they're a fighter that also has holy vows. Kind they just kind of kinda happen they, to work for the church. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like you um, with a with a. Uh, cl- or, I only work in space. Yeah, you you start out as a warrior as yeah. a templar, and then you end up in the religious. Which order. historically as made sense. As opposed to a cleric, you yeah. maybe tend to be more of a religious person who ends up fighting. So. Historically, you know, you'd get these rich nobles, and they would be go on these crusades. They, you know, the only connection with the church was that they weren't going to inherit anything because they were the third or fourth. Son, so they needed to do something, um, and everybody was involved in the church in the Middle Ages. So they got the D8 for hit dice, which makes them a little survivable in AD&D. They also, you know, quirky AD&D rules, let's have different effects for each statistic, right? So we know strength is to hit and damage, and mm-hmm. if you're a fighter, it's even more to hit and damage, but only for fighters. Well, clerics, a high wisdom actually gave you bonus spells. Hmm. Nice. Which... You don't, wasn't, oh, wasn't sorry, the case. I keep forgetting that Greg did not play first edition. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and if you had a low wisdom, which nobody ever did, because why would no. you have yeah. a low wisdom and be a cleric? But you had a chance to spell failure, so your spells could not go off. I, we never ran into that because nobody ever had that low wisdom. Um, Unless it happened in-game. That's you know. true. There, there were uh, stat-reducing effects. Um, and then in 87, so towards, you know, into AD&D, that's when they introduced cleric speciality and spheres with the Dragonlance adventures, uh, which was a big step in the clerics because prior to that, all clerics were the same. You chose from the same spell list. It didn't matter who you worshipped. Um, you got the same spells. Your god didn't really have much of an impact on the game. Um, but with Dragonlance, which was a very role-play heavy setting, then all of a sudden we're like, okay, we're going to start having having spheres and specialties so you can be a cleric of this particular area. <laughs> kind of makes me laugh a little bit what you said, you know, the deity not playing much of a role in the game. I think that's kind of how every person who played a cleric in uh, my games in first edition was. The deity was there when we really needed them, much like, you know, many people profess today. <laughs> you know, yeah. Early D&D was sort of fun because deities and demigods actually statted gods, mm-hmm. right? Which you, I haven't, they haven't done a whole lot of that since right. then. But you could, and my characters in campaigns ran into gods. Yes, you know they yes. would, they might not have known it, but they're, they crossed paths with these powerful beings who were, you know, like the Greek myths, where the gods would sometimes just come and and travel the mortal world and in, in incognito. Uh, that was a fun part of the game. And as a, as a quick aside, well, yeah, go ahead. No, um, no, I was about to ask you which I, gods, but you go ahead. I had a uh, character at one of my adventure league table, a player, who his character wanted to be an atheist. Okay, now a cleric and an atheist. No, he wasn't a cleric. Oh, okay. He just wanted to be an atheist. <laughs> That's different. Okay, yeah. even as a cleric atheist, apparently you can do that um, as well. But <laughs> so Not sure here's, here's yeah. the problem with that. Okay. So if you want to be an atheist in the real world, more power to you. Like, you know, that works in our world. You can say, I don't really believe that stuff. Cause I don't see any proof, but in D and D 
The gods literally walked the earth. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one part thing to of the say, whole idea of the game. Yeah. Like <laughs> your buddy is literally having a conversation with a god as you're making breakfast. <laughs> and you're like, I don't believe you. Yeah. Who are you talking <laughs> you know, to? Who's talking that guy? To oh, that's my god. I summoned him. <laughs> like, so it just cracks me up that. You, yeah. It, All these cool spells that I keep saving your ass with, yeah. they come from a particular guy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not or girls or thing. Or, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so it just cracked me up that he's like, I want to put my characters in. <laughs> so I'm like, that's like not believing in the moon. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> you can, you're a, you're a flat earther of the D and D world. Yeah. Um, oh, funny. No, so, my question was, yeah. and I don't want to keep going off on these tangents, but this is my only experience with clerics. What gods did you run in those campaigns back in the day? Well, I really love the ones they took out. Of deities and demigods. And I think, I knew you were going to say that. The Fafford and the Grey Mouse. Yes. And if people see our Facebook page, I got the Lankmar supplement. Yeah. I, I replaced and that I've from been, the Great Purge. And folks, if you haven't been reading the uh, Lankmar series by uh, Fritz Leiber, <laughs> even though <laughs> grammatically in German it would be Lieber. <laughs> um, yeah. More Merkins, it's, lo- it's Laber. Yeah. Those are great books. Those yes, are great they books. Are. They're like just heroic sword and sorcery. They are fantastic. So yeah. anyway, you so you the uh, Nawan, yeah, gods. Did Nawan. you use the Melnabonia? I did. Some Same of those. here. Same you here. Know. I mean, it was just because that's what I was reading. Yeah, and you know, you that's that's what you put in. Yeah, you play what you know. Oddly, I never used a bit of the Hyborian gods. Were they even? I don't think they were in there. Uh, somewhere were they? they were. Maybe. We well, they weren't a friendly bunch of gods anyway. Mm, or, or I had seen them somewhere. Well, you know what? This might be a good time to include our, our recording. Our li- yes. Yeah. So, okay. so one of the problems with being a god, uh, you know, in a D&D is, you know, you have problems too, but who do you go to? Yeah. Like when a cleric has a problem, they can pray for divine intervention. But when a god has a problem... Who do you go to? So, Does he go back to the people? Yeah. Well, no, I, I think no. there would have to be some sort of a God support groups where they could help each other out, right? You know, provide, provide you know, a, a jolt of confidence when, when needed. So I think we have a recording of, of one of those self-help groups. All right. Let's give that a listen. Good morning, deities. It is good to see you all back at our weekly support group. We have a newcomer today. If you are comfortable, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Ayus. I have been a deity since CY491. Hi, hey. Welcome, Ayus. How about you all introduce yourselves to our new guest? I'm Krom. My followers don't pray to me. They say I'm too gloomy and savage. It hardly seems fair. I mean, I give courage and the will and might to slay your enemies. What else do they expect? Now, Krom, we talked about this. You need to get in touch with your feminine side. I tried! Spent all week in lamentation. It didn't help. Hmm. Maybe we can talk about this next week. Which of you fools was dumb enough to take the last donut, depriving I, Ariok, Lord of the Seven Darks, Knight of Swords, and Lord of the Higher Hell? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow your roll, Demon Knobber. I took the last donut. Now, Leviatar, you know how upset Ariok becomes if he doesn't get a donut. So it pains him to not get a donut? You do realize that's my sort of thing. Why is she even here? She just takes joy in our suffering. You're one to talk. You have your little pet Elric collecting souls like they're Pokemon. Gentlemen, let's try to keep it civil. We're here to talk through our issues. Except for Leviatar. She's just here to feed off our pain. He's not wrong. She does always take the last donut. Ayuz, why don't you tell us what brought you here today? I hate being the new guy. 
All the other gods have divine parents. I mean, my dad is a demon, so that's sort of cool, but my mom's just a regular witch. Wow, when you have the weight of all the responsibility of all those followers on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. It does, and you, you know, need there must someone be, to talk there to. There must be mm -hmm. pressure to get more followers. Like, you know, do they have, like, do they get together and be like, I have, I picked up 10 new followers last week, you Who know? stats that out? You, you know, know, you gotta keep up with the Joneses. There's a whole book called American Gods uh, based on that whole yeah, thing, Neil you Gaiman. know? Yeah, The more worshipers you have, the I stronger like that you model, are. Too. I like that model that a god's power is based off the number of worshipers. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of cool. Mm -hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. So second edition, they put him in with the priest group. And of course, we had the D&D bloat that got even more specific with choosing your religion and your sphere of influence. But if you chose a sphere, it restricted your access to oppositional spheres. So if you were like fire, you couldn't cast water. Now, God's had different spheres. They weren't mm -hmm. fire and water, but you, you get the, the drift. Um and then they added all those extra, you know, complete priest handbook where you could get, you could become a crusader or you could be a monk or a mystic or a shaman. Not to be confused with the monk class, right? No, yeah. it was different. They, so they were uh, like a, a monastery monk as opposed to a Eastern monk. And the monk class, that's, another, you know, when, have, we, have we talked about monks yet? I don't know if we, I don't think we have. I don't think so. No. Uh, but, you know, the one class... That's really an Eastern concept that made it into D and D and stuck around. Sort of interesting. Um, yeah. th this whole like martial arts monk. Uh, so anyway, um, <laughs> so you know, second edition bloat happens. Third edition, let's re rework everything, make the rules consistent. So um, they kept the domains. They added specific spells based on your domain, which right. is sort of cool. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm a cleric, and it makes sense. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Uh, and it helps differentiate your character a little bit from every other cleric because you have your domain just spells. The generic medic. Yeah. They also allowed, and this was a huge change that I like, spontaneous casting of heal or harm if you're evil spells. You could swap out. You had spell slots like 5th edition does. But if I had a protection from evil prepared, I could instead cast a cure light wounds using that slot. I would lose the nice. spell, but um, I could always swap out any other spell for a heal spell. Because prior to that, you know, clerics, when you were AD&D, you said, okay, I'm going to take uh, two Cure Light Wounds, a Protection from Evil, and a Silence 15-foot Radius. And those were your spells. Mm -hmm. um, now, you could swap out your spells by any spell in your list, unlike wizards, which were restricted to the spells they had in their spell book. So a cleric automatically had access to their whole list when they hit the, the appropriate level. But um, they still had to declare what spells they were using, which could make dungeon delving rather risky. If the cleric had cast their last heal, it didn't matter if they had silence 15-foot radius. They weren't doing any more healing. Um, but in third edition, they said, you know what? If you're a healer, we'll let you heal. If, as long as you have any spell slots, you can heal. Then fourth edition happened. I think, and then we went to fifth. And we went to fifth. Yeah, <laughs> fourth edition. They added the what? bloodied mechanic. What fourth? What? I know. <laughs> yeah, it's the only good thing come out of it. Um, so fifth edition. This was a pretty substantial change to clerics. Right away, they keep the D eight, but they default to medium armor. So every other edition, clerics would just throw on that plate armor. 
right? They could they could wear the heaviest armor. Okay, I didn't know that, and that again shows my ignorance of from how long it's been since now, played. Medium armor, really? Medium. Now, which is also interesting because there's not a lot of classes that use medium armor. It's sort of the forgotten armor type. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, <laughs> what classifies as a medium armor? Chainmail. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a list in the player's handbook. Mm. I think. Uh, um. Looks like scale, oh, leather, yeah, chain. Got, yeah. Hide, chain, scale, just a breastplate or half plate. Okay. So you can you can wear plate mail, but you can't wear the pants. <laughs> so. You know, you always fight better with no pants anyway. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. that, that makes sense. Very freeing. <laughs> you got a lot more to lose. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, um, and then they get simple weapons. This is another, the simple martial groupings they do in 5th edition. I really like that. I like that mechanic where okay everybody can use these weapons and then the, the fighter types get these other weapons that they can also use but notice that got rid of that no edged weapon restriction yes. it just sort mm-hmm. of hand waved it away i sort of missed that it was sort of nice to have the no edged weapon just because it was a quirky rule that- however they uh kind of give a nod to that in the uh D beyond your starting equipment if you just want to go with what they give you as a generic it is a mace yeah. or a war hammer yeah, they so. do not mention the short sword or long sword or anything like that. Yeah. Now, one other weird thing Matter for style s- too. Fifth edition spell casting. To cast spells, you need a spell casting focus. And for a wizard, that's either a component pouch or it can be a, an actual focus, like a crystal ball or some crazy Wander. thing. Um, clerics are allowed to put their holy symbol on their shield and and <laughs> use and that acts as their focus. Um, Hopefully they don't lose it. Or theoretically they could wear it on a tabard. They could do a lot of things. So essentially they, they have to have it, but they don't really have to carry it around. They could just stick it on something. Back in the first edition, do you know how many clerics I was able to get uh, to injure a lot more quickly because they had to do something with their holy symbol and they had a shield, but their holy symbol was on their neck? I was like, well, you've got a mace in one hand and a shield in another hand. How are you going to display that thing? Yeah. And they're like, well, I'll drop the shield and hold my... Well, that also dropped their armor class, so uh, I, my monsters were able to get in under that armor class. I had a uh, an NPC rogue thief in uh, AD&D. The characters were camping, and they had posted a guard, because, you know, you always do, and this rogue snuck in and stole the cleric's holy symbol, <laughs> and then they attacked the camp. Oh. And the cleric oops. went to cast their spells. <laughs> I was like, where's your holy symbol? Well, it should be right here. It's not. <laughs> So that was always interesting. Nice. Um, yeah, so they also threw them into the ritual caster, another mechanic I really like. You don't have to have use a spell slot to cast this spell. Right. You can just cast it, taking 10 minutes plus the casting time. They then get a bunch of spells. Now, one thing that happened in 3rd edition, we sort of gl- glossed over, is clerics became a lot more offensive. Uh, their spells became a lot more offensive. Ah, good. Thought they just stopped baiting. Some clerics are also yeah. offensive. Eric I, just I got like more to think offensive. my clerics are offensive mm-hmm. to begin with. But <laughs> prior to that, they were really defensive casters. So you had hold person, silence, fifteen foot radius. Those spells didn't do direct damage, but they did sort of mitigate damage or or stop uh, stop your opponent from from performing the actions they wanted to perform. In third edition. They gave them much more offensive spells, which is why they became the the go-to class in third edition, because they had they could damage almost as well as wizards. 
Um, and they still had healing on top of it. And they wore heavy armor. And they could use super weapons. So, um, and because the way third edition magic worked, you could really outfit them such that they could do it all. So they were a really good class. And we sort of got some of that in fifth edition, but they pulled back the offensive abilities, which is probably appropriate. I mean, I, I always had a problem with clerics being able to to do as much damage as, as the wizard and get all the extra bonuses on top of that for all the other stuff they can do. But in terms of their spell casting, there are a couple things in 5th edition I think that are worthwhile mentioning. Guidance, um, that's a cantrip, which means they can cast as many, many times, times as they want, and it adds a D4 to a skill check. Um, which is handy. Which is really handy. A D4 is pretty huge when you're rolling a, only rolling a D20, like I said, especially at lower levels when your proficiency bonus is plus one. Yeah. Um, so guidance is super useful. To the point that sometimes I'll even take the, I believe it's the Magic Initiate feat, so I can get Guidance on a non-cleric. Oh. So for a like a skill-based character, being able to cast Guidance on themselves, that's huge. You get to add a D4. As long as you have prep. I see a lot of GMs that roll this poorly where, you know, a, a monster is hidden and it's going to jump out and surprise somebody and somebody wants to make a roll to see whether they notice the monster. And the cleric goes, I'm going to cast Guidance on him. Well, you don't know. I mean, this is all happening in, in six seconds. You don't have time to prep, which is different than I'm going to pick a lock. Okay, and picking a lock, you have time. You know he's going to do it. You can cast the Guidance. So it is somewhat limited. Healing Word, 5th edition change, a ranged heal spell, which I don't think maybe they had one in third edition that i don't remember I don't recall running into it yeah but uh and it's a bonus action spell which means you can still swing your sword you can throw a d4 plus something on on that guy who's lollygagging around on the floor um, usually me yeah usually greg's character <laughs> um and still get your attack uh, i'm a big fan of healing word yeah <laughs> Bless, an oldie but a goodie. Yep. yep. Add the D4 to your attack rolls, saving throws. Hold person, another oldie but goodie. Um, you know, just take somebody out of the combat, and when you do finally decide to hit them, you're going to get advantage on the roll because they're essentially paralyzed. Silence. Don't see this used as much anymore, but uh, we used to use it a lot back in AD&D. What about you, Dean? Did you? Not really. No. I don't recall it being done too much uh i think it was that was the realm of the rogue to take care of that type of stuff even though you know you had an entire party and you wanted to make them all you know soft pads for a while well no that's you're thinking of the defensive use of silence silencing your party so you're not detected oh you're talking about silencing silence the enemy, the enemy. casters gotcha. yeah. you throw that silence 15 foot radius over there and now they can't cast spells at you that was a huge role for a cleric early on. And I don't see yeah. that used as much. I think we were we were using that much more at lower levels than we have been at higher levels. I seem to remember, you know, especially in both of our campaigns, especially the, the monthly, everybody was wanting to throw up a silence every time we ran into somebody who was a spellcaster. And that just hasn't been happening lately. I think 
I think you think you can defeat them now without happening to do that. Yeah. Um, once you get to a higher level, but in the but main at, campaign, at a, lower, at a lower level, when there's some, you know, fifth, sixth, tenth level spellcaster floating around, and you guys are running scared, that's a, the only thing you can do is shut him up. Well, we didn't have a cleric with us anyway, but when I played that tier four adventure at roll call, we had three arch mages casting meteor swarms on us. Jeez. A silence would have come in handy. Yeah, it would have been nice. You know, now they can always try to move out of it. But if they don't know where the boundaries of it are, if you have a good DM, you yeah. know, they don't you don't know they don't know which direction. I guess they're always gonna be able to move enough to get out of fifteen foot radius. Although I think they changed the radius in fifth edition now that I think about it. Anyway, uh, Zone of Truth. This is sort of almost a game breaking spell sometimes. Yeah, a lot of people don't like there, there is a loophole where they don't have to answer, but think how easy the court system would be if you had a zone of truth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, literally, it'd be like, okay, we're going to have court once a year. <laughs> we're going to cast a zone of truth. Everybody's guilty of going to jail. If you don't answer, you're going to jail. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, silence is 20 foot. 20 foot, yeah, they yep. did. See, they changed the radius on me. It, forever, it was silence 15 foot radius. That was the name of the spell. Glyph awarding. This is another one they have... Uh, you can have shenanigans with because you can stick this glyph on stuff like stick it on a, uh, the chest in the corner and then say oh the the money you requested from us is over in that chest feel free to go take it it's a good way to open up combat um, if they live uh, revivify not a fan prior editions raise dead which was a fifth level spell that's when clerics got the ability to restore life to somebody and that's a ninth level character. Yeah. And in AD and D ninth level, you've been playing a while. I mean, your character's got some history. And this is a third level. Yeah. So fifth level character can restore. Now, granted, it can only go back a minute. Right. But still, that's no combat lasts more than a minute, in my experience. So. Yeah, that really kind of. I don't think I care much for that. Not really having played a cleric in such a long time. That whole bringing somebody back from the dead was something that you earned the ability to do, not just, you and know, even to the at point mid-level range. Hmm. In Critical Role Season 1, they had a character die, and uh, Mercer and his campaign made them jump through a ton of hoops, and the spell wasn't guaranteed to work, which is a throwback to AD&D where you had a system shock roll, a survival. Yes, right. If yeah. you got resurrected, you had to roll a percentage. And if you had a low con, there was a good chance that you were just dead dead. Yeah, it was like your psyche or your entire whatever made up you just couldn't handle it. Yeah. I, I like that mechanic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it Coming was... Coming back from the dead changes you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and there should be... You should have some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. It seems like 5th mm -hmm. edition... Oh, I die. Well, we got a cleric. It'll cost a little bit of gold because you need that gem. But I'm not worried about dying. It's a little MMO-ish to me. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I, I would prefer Revivify did not appear in 5th edition. I think it's too early to allow people... They were, and I and I'm going to start a crusade. Uh, I'm going to start a uh, petition to add System Shock back in because it should not be guaranteed that you come back. Yeah, and that's third level too. So, you know, and if you definitely need to come back, that's what Wish is for. And there's <laughs> yeah. a role already involved in that. So, yeah, uh, I like the caveat: does not restore missing body parts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> whoops. Good role play opportunity. Yeah. Um, question so if you revivify somebody who's 
lost a leg in combat or something like that, do they continue to bleed out? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah. It's, you can cast it every minute until yeah. you get back to a real cleric. <laughs> Slap iron on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts me. Um, spirit Guardians. So this, I don't know if this was in prior editions or not. I, I don't recall it. No. I like them. <laughs> but essentially it creates this like zone 15 feet around yes. the caster and these spectral guardians um, damage any creature that begins its turn or moves into that zone. And uh, it is a concentration spell. So whacking on the cleric over and over will usually drop it. But it's a pretty good spell. I mean, it does substantial damage. Um, Comes in really handy. 3d8. Yeah. 3D8. With a half at a save. Yeah, so it's consistent damage, or even taking it if they save. Um, so And Radiant, you know, or Necrotic, but yeah, that's always nice. Yeah, Radiant's a decent damage type, and very Cleric-ish. Yeah. You know, Clerics should deal Radiant. Uh, <laughs> banishment. This is annoying as a DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, Banishment I like and it. Polymorph. <laughs> and I'm not sure which one, as a player, I like more, or as a DM, I hate more. Um, so Banishment, essentially, you banish the creature from the from the plane you're on. If it's not from that plane, na- natively, and you concentrate for a minute, it's banished forever, essentially, or a year or 100 years or something crazy. Now, it's, you have to be able to concentrate for the minute. So, again, you could yeah, try to smack the cleric. But uh, a banishment and a portent wizard with a low roll essentially makes a boss fight a cakewalk, um, unless they have legendary resistance. So you always got to keep that legendary resistance in your back pocket. Yeah, that's annoying. So it's, yeah. It's, it's a handy ability. It, it's super handy. Yeah, it can be a bit of a... a plot breaker too if that's very important that that creature be around but yeah then, then we get up to death ward death ward is a throwback spell it's been around forever uh it's a good one to have in your repertoire if you die you don't die right um and at higher levels if you're willing to burn a spell slot for it it's probably worth it now flame strike and blade barrier are the two big cleric damage spells in 5th edition, I'm not too impressed with them, truthfully. They don't do that much damage. They take a pretty high-level slot. They're, I mean, if you really want to deal damage, sure, but 5th edition clerics aren't, aren't real good in the damage dealing. They're more buffers and damage mitigators and control, um, you know, and healers. So, you know, they're still there. I don't... Don't go nuts for him. Heal, another spell that's a, a throwback. Basically, I believe in original D&D, it just restored them back to their full hit points. Really? Wow, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this one, there's a there's a number associated with it. And then Mass Heal, your big ninth level. Pull that baby out for... for Mass Heal, was that something that was available in the earlier editions? I don't know if it was or not. I, don't, I didn't bring my player's handbook. I should have because I have all my fifth edition stuff in my bag because I'm running tonight. Um, I just wonder if it comes from some of those MMOs where you must, had a character, a healer, and that you all gather around him, and boom, they're all healed. I don't up. remember too many group heals. Yeah, from back in the day. I don't either. I think this might have come from some of those MMOs. Computer it could games. Have. Also, there weren't as many buffs. 
in my recollection. There were some, but not nearly as many as, as you see now. The buffs back then, protection from good gave you a bonus, or protection from evil gave you a bonus against evil, you know? Um, but now you have a lot of stuff. Uh, fit, you know, third edition had that cat's grace and bear's endurance and all that to buff your stats. And um, I don't think we had that. You, you had a bless. You had protections. Mm -hmm. You didn't really have have what we now call buffs that came out of an, sort of that MMO mindset. Um, so, you know, a lot of good spells. A lot of them have carried over. Um, which is why it's an iconic class. So they also get the ability to channel divinity. This is a, a nice way to explain their turn undead ability, right? The turn yeah. undead they've had since the beginning, and this channel divinity is a, is a nice mechanic. Basically, they can use their channel divinity to turn undead. Um, they can also use it for other stuff based on their domain, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, and then at... Uh, they also, I believe, at 10th level, get a Divine Intervention ability. And as a DM, I like this ability. They have a percent chance equal to their level of asking their god for help. And you got this all the time anyway, so I'm just glad they put a rule in for it. When things start to go bad... Characters would always be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to my god and see if they'll help me out. Did this happen to be... Um I recall this in the first editions, and it seemed like it was always there, that if you did a certain... It wasn't really a spell. I think there was a high level. Was there? I think at very high levels, like a you know, high priest kind of thing, had some sort of ability. Again, I, I seem to recall that it was, it was at a lower level or a mid-range level or something like that, where you could do something special, and, and it had to do with a die roll, essentially. If you did something special, you could get your god to intervene on your part. I don't know. We're going to have to look at that. Yeah. I probably should have brought my player's hand. I could be remembering it wrong. Kicking myself now. But I like in 5th edition, they've basically just said, okay, here's the deal. Here's here's how this works. Now, at 20th level, if you dedicate your entire advancement as a cleric, which I have a hard time doing. I don't think I have any pure class characters. Well, <laughs> the ones that I haven't multi-classed yet yeah. are probably yeah. pure class. But um you get an auto success. So you're a guy, which makes sense. You're 20th level. Like, you're the main dude. Uh, you'd be like, hey, yo, Paylor. <laughs> Come over here. Help a guy out, will you? Yeah. Um, but you can only do it once a week, which is nice. It limits it. It's a, it's a very nice mechanic because, like I said, characters tend to do it anyway, at least in my experience from, from when I started playing D&D. There's always that. If somebody's playing a cleric, they're always going to, ask their god for assistance at some point, usually when things are at their worst, which is similar to real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oddly, it is. So you have all these cleric domains, and um, I did not write down all the abilities because there are a lot of cleric domains. Well, we can go in order by D&D Beyond, or we can go with what you've got listed on well, our outline. The outline I put in the order they came out, so why don't we go outline order? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. That's, so it, it, it's a little intimidating if you want to make up if you want to hurry yeah. up and make up a character that yeah the cleric is not like you don't dive into that immediately. So every domain gets spells associated with it that are right you know thematic to the domain. So we we already know that we're not really going to talk about those because um, you can sort of a quick quick look at the rules tells you what they are, um, but they sort of make sense. And we'll be doing this all day. Yes. <laughs> um, the first knowledge. 
I don't see a lot of knowledge clerics when I play. Um, do you mind tell us what knowledge? All right. Is? Well, knowledge is uh, the gods of knowledge, including all these ones that. Uh, yeah, there's a million yeah, gods yeah. in fifth edition. Um, okay, so knowledge domain spells. You've got command. Well, we don't care about spells. Oh, okay. we, were, we just said it. Weren't you listening, Dean? Come on. I'm not. Try to keep up. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to keep up. Well, what do you want to know? What do they get? What's knowledge give you? Knowledge gives you well. At first level, you learn two languages of your choice. You become proficient in your choice of two of the following skills: arcana, history, nature, or religion. Yeah. Uh, you can channel divinity, knowledge of the ages. That's at second level. Uh, you can use your channel divinity to tap into the divine well of knowledge, and you choose one skill or tool. And so, for ten minutes, you are a master yeah. at that. And I do see people That's online cool. talking about that. So you mm -hmm. need to pick a lock. I can pick a lock. I need to train an animal. I can train an animal. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of skills that people don't take ever yeah um that it would be handy to have somebody's proficient yeah. and as a dm i like to throw in anyone who's proficient with this skill can make a role i like to sort of add that extra bar because it's it's too easy for everybody like i'm a barbarian i'm gonna make an arcana roll oh look i rolled a, a 20 which means i have an 18 still the highest roll in the party so i apparently know more about arcana yeah. than the wizard how the hell does that make sense <laughs> no yeah um, now uh speaking of knowledge I'm sure you guys also worked on your characters for this session. Nah. <laughs> um, but I made a, a knowledge cleric. Now, in true fashion, true Eric fashion, he only has one level of, of cleric. Oh, he's everything else. He's, <laughs> he's actually an eight-level rogue, bit. a third-level bard, and one level of knowledge cleric. Okay? <laughs> so he's and, not really a cleric. No. He's a knowledge cleric. No, That's my story, not. and I'm sticking to it. And this is relevant. He's a rogue who dabbles Spent in cleric. And his Spent name a weekend at cleric is Armand yeah. Nefay. That's his name. Armand Nefay, and he's a half-elf. Okay. Let's let him have his time. And Armand is proficient in every skill. <laughs> and he has expertise in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them. He Jesus. doesn't have expertise in three, four, five, uh, eight. So he has extra, I think there's 18. Oh, so, so that's my build for this one. Armand, Swiss Armand Nife. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Continuing on. I'll put level. him on, online because yeah. he's rather. Sixth level, you can start to read thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Surface thoughts, you mm -hmm. know, that's very GM dependent. That's, that's a good ability. Now, um, at eighth level, you can add your wisdom modifier to damage that you deal with a cleric cantrip. Yeah, which should be five by then. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not bad, but evoker wizards get that ability, yeah. I think, right? Uh, visions of the past, seventeenth level, you can call up visions of the past that relate to an object you hold or your immediate surroundings. So you can kind of yeah. tell what happened here. I don't like this one. You know why? Legend lore. That was style. the bard's ability. Mm. Okay, bards had legend lore back in the day. They could hold an object or look at it, and they would have a chance to know something about it. I don't like them taking that away from bards. I think that's a that was an iconic bard ability. But okay. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to life, oh, everybody can do domain. Everything. Yeah. So life, we see a lot of life domain characters. Yeah. I mean, that's that's your traditional cleric. This is the one that gives you that heavy armor heavy proficiency. Armor. Yep. Yep. Uh, your healing spells are a little bit more proficient. Yeah. You get get to add your uh, restore it, hit points 
Yeah, regain. whenever you use a first level spell or higher to restore hit points to a creature, the, the creature regains an additional hit points equal to two plus the spell. Yeah, so level. at first level, third level. So mm -hmm. you're three hit points. So you're, your cure lights are doing an extra three, yeah. which is substantial. Second level, you can channel your, uh, you can use your channel divinity to heal the badly injured. Yeah, you Again, can heal you five it. times your cleric level. And that's, and you can divide that among any number of creatures within 30 feet. So that's like an oh crap ability that comes in real handy. <laughs> that's yeah. nice. And again, that's only second level. Like you have that ability. That's, that's sort of, and it just gets stronger as you level. I really like that ability. Sixth level, Blessed Healer. The healing spells you cast on others heal you as well. So that's quite nice if you've yeah. been in a big row. If you're a cleric and you're taking that much damage, you're doing, a, doing cleric wrong. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> It's uh, a dangerous world, man. Yes, yeah, they is. are in heavy armor. I guess they could be in yeah. front. Right. Uh, eighth level, Divine Strike. Uh, infuse your weapon strikes with Divine Energy. And this is... Yeah, uh, they do an extra, an extra D8. 1D8. Or 2D8 when I hit 14. Mm -hmm. That's not bad. I mean, if this is the AD&D cool. &D cleric. It is a healer who should be yeah. up front, taking Whacking damage, things. swinging the sword, and, and healing as needed. That's a good point. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, at 17th level, uh, Supreme Healing. Uh, when you normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points with a spell, you instead use the highest number possible for each die. Yeah, oh, so nice. if you would do 2d6, you just do 12. Do 12. Yep. That's, that well, is that's pretty super awesome. Cool. That's, that's nice. Yeah, if you get to 17 and then you get to 20 and you can add your, ask your god for assistance, that's yeah. a pretty formidable character. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the light domain. Light. There's not a whole lot of things in, uh, in this rule book that do that die maxes no it, it is, is rare the tempest cleric which we'll talk about in a little bit mm -hmm. there's another one yeah guess what you get to do when you're in the light domain make light uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> yes uh you choose that domain at first level you gain the light cantrip if you don't already know it yeah yeah uh first level you'd be surprised well, how many people don't take the light cantrip and it always cracks me up when the person who didn't the player who did not take the light cantrip has a race that can't see in the dark yeah i'm like hey <laughs> right, dude like yeah. i can't see in the dark and if i could take a three cantrips as a real person light would probably be one of them oh, it, yes. it's, it's pretty oh, handy yes. mm -hmm. yeah plus oh. you save on your power bill yeah. Yeah. there's Absolutely. always that one guy <laughs> yeah wouldn't have to yell at your kids yeah Besides those torches, they add to the carbon footprint. That's right. Yeah. Uh, warding flare at first level. Could you, you know, with solar panels, how would that, if you had a light spell and solar panels, you essentially have limitless energy. You that is the true. whole front of your shield. You could just have a shield with Yeah, that. it's like yeah. multiple light spells additive when it comes to solar collection. I mean, these are questions that need to be answered. Anyway, sorry. No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, light cleric. Uh, but here's the thing. Warding flare, the first level ability that you started to talk about. So as a reaction, you can impose disadvantage, essentially. Mm -hmm. I like that ability because clerics don't have a lot of reaction abilities. So when you start thinking about the action economy, you get uh, action, bonus action, reaction that you during your, you know, the, the attack turn, the attack round or the, the combat round. Clerics don't do a lot of reaction stuff generally, so it's nice to have ability that they can stick in there. So, Second. and you can use it multiple times, equal to your wisdom modifier. That is true. So we got Channel Divinity, the Radiance of the Dawn, again, dealing with the light. Second level, you can harness the sunlight, banishing the darkness. And then again, maybe this is 
something you need to think about with that solar panel stuff. Um, you present your holy symbol, and any magical darkness within 30 feet is dispelled. Oof. Not a fan of darkness in 5th edition. The rules are very quirky. Darkness, second level spell, can only be dispelled by a second level spell or higher. But it's not clear... I think technically, if I upcast light using a second-level slot, that doesn't work. It's still a first-level hmm. spell. Uh, but That's so most weird. people do rule that, okay, I, you know, well, I'm going to let you dispel the darkness. But there's not a second-level light spell. There's daylight, which I think is third level. Hmm. So that's a handy ability, given that quirky rule. Uh, sixth level, moving on, improved flare. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can use your warding flare on a creature within 30 feet. So if somebody's right. attacking your ally... Um, you can give them disadvantage, which is nice. And then we have a, uh, what is this? The uh, potent, potent spellcasting. Spell Gather wisdom yep. bonus to cantrips. Mm -hmm. And finally, at 17th level, the Corona of Light. And that's like what? You get a light beer when you do that? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is there there's, such a there's thing? A lo there's a lime component. There a, to yeah. There's a, spell. The spell <laughs> material component <laughs> is a wedge of lime. I've always said that if you have to add something to your beer to make it taste good, then it's not a good beer to begin with. Possibly. Um, but that's totally off. Now you just, oh my God, we're going to get so many emails now. Thanks, Dean. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, people feel strong about D&D, &D, but people feel really feel strong, strong about, about their beer. beer. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Corona of Light, you emit a bright light in a 60-foot radius and a dim light 30 feet beyond that. And your enemies in that bright light have disadvantage on saving throws. Oh. Disadvantage on saving throws against spells that deal fire, fire or, or radiant. radiant damage. Okay. You know, it lasts a minute, <laughs> but it's a 17th level ability. The light cleric, or the healing cleric, life cleric, gets to maximize a healing spell, which could do like 120 points of healing. The light cleric gets to impose disadvantage on saving throws against fire or radiant spells. It does seem to be a little uh, it's light. Very, it's, you know, uh, oddly specific, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. I think would be the phrase. Yeah. So, all right, that's probably why we don't see a ton of ton of light clerics. The nature domain. Yeah. Again, so before we even start down this path, if you want to be a nature domain I mean, cleric, maybe just be a druid. Yeah, I yeah. was thinking that. Sounds, yeah, it just like glancing at these things, it druid adjacent. Like but you know what it is? It's druids. It's cleric. You know, druids that don't want to live in the woods. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. Druids live with a roof over their head. Yeah, like, yeah, I druid. like the woods. It's like the guys that, you know, they don't want to live in Montana, but they don't mind going to Montana, yeah. right, for a weekend. Stay in a hotel. Yeah, that's <laughs> your day. Well, you go out hiking for the day, you know, then they come back. Or could it be druids who want to have heavy armor? It could be it, too. Because at first level, you get proficiency with heavy armor. Okay. So that, <laughs> that could be it, too. Um, so It's sketchy. Yeah, so nature domain. <laughs> uh, Channel, uh, at second level, you can uh, charm animals and plants. Yeah. Good. Feed me, Seymour. Yeah, you can be like Snow White. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at sixth level, you can make things moist. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those words. It makes that, everyone uncomfortable. So if you, no one you, has, ca has, you cast that spell and everybody's like, oh. If no one has watched the show Letterkenny, it's only on Hulu. It's like a Canadian. My son comedy. and his friends oh are into God. that. Yes. I'm like, what the they had a, hell is that? During one episode, they had a series of words that the female character on the show would be like, don't say that word. Like, when you say that word, it's uncomfortable and moist <laughs> Moist was one of the words. I don't get that. I don't get yeah. that. Anyway, back to D&D. &D. Yes. <laughs> uh, dampen elements. 
when you or a creature are within 30 feet of you, takes acid, fire, cold, lightning, or thunder damage, you can use your reaction to grant resistance to the creature against that. Yeah, which is a first level wizard spell. Mm. Endure elements, right? Mm. Yeah. That's a reaction. It's kind of lame. You're not enduring it. You're just moistening the elements. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's the damp part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, divine Strike at 8th level. Yeah, an extra 1d8 elemental damage mm -hmm. and increases a 2d8. And then finally at 17th level, you are the master of nature. Again, sounds very druidy. Command animals and plant creatures. This is the Aquaman of clerics. <laughs> it really is. Like... And we're talking old Aquaman, I think not it's cool new Aquaman. Yeah, not, not Jason Moma, <laughs> or whatever his name is. Um, or could it be Dar? Could be. Yeah, yeah I, so I, you can I charm a plant so. or an animal at 17th level. Okay, by the time you're 17th level, there's no damn plant or animal that you're going to be asking for help. Yeah. Okay, like... Especially plants. I mean, really. You uh, know, I mean, unless... Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm not impressed with the nature cleric. I mean, it has some role play potential. It know? sounds like one of those things that they put in here because someone had a specific character in mind and they needed to explain that character. And so we've got half a page of stuff here for something that no one's going to use. Druids do it better. And I yeah. believe we're going to cover <laughs> Druids next podcast. Yeah. Normally we alternate, but yeah, we, we have, have a request, request. Yeah. to do Druids next. So we will do Druids Get next. that bumper sticker, Druids do it better. So, yeah. <laughs> Is that now, what that bumper sticker says, I thought it was Druids do it in the woods. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think this might be Eric's favorite domain, the Tempest domain. It's, it's up there. I do have a Tempest domain okay. cleric. He's got two levels in cleric, which technically makes him a cleric, regardless of what you guys yeah. say. Uh, proficiency with martial weapons and heavy armor at first yes. level. Wrath of the Storm. Yeah, that's um. Can you dare attack. hit me? Yeah. If you hit me, yeah. I hit you. Yeah, I like that from yeah. a thematic perspective. Unfortunately, you have to use your reaction, but if you're just a regular old cleric, you don't have a lot of stuff to use your reaction on anyway. So hey, why not? Okay, uh, second level, destructive wrath. Yeah, you roll lightning or thunder damage. You can use your channel divinity to maximum damage. That's that ability. So if you're a cleric wizard, and you cast a ten. D6 lightning bolt, you do 60. Yeah, that's, that's sort of nice. Cool. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Lu yeah. Lu Lucia's Tempest, isn't he? No, he's a war cleric. He's a war cleric? Okay. Well, he did, was, he's with Cord, so I... Oh, maybe. Okay. I believe he's a war cleric. Um, Sixth level, you get to push people back with the Thunderbolt strike. Again, I mean, movement not real big in 5th edition. And if you're playing Theater of the Mind, that's sort of a ribbon ability. Um, in most cases, but okay, I guess. At 8th level, Divine Strike. Yeah, an extra can, D8 or 2D8. Yeah, a yep. lot of the clerics get that. Pretty much that seems to be a uh, a theme at 8th level. You just get to add extra damage to certain things. Yeah. 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 And then finally... Consistency. Yeah. At 17th level... Stormborn. Yeah. What happened to all the levels between, like, you know... Well, you got cleric stuff there. Okay. I mean, ability score increases and all that other stuff. Okay. So Stormborn 17, you get a flying speed equal to your walking speed. So this is like the storm from the X-Men. You know, oh, that, yeah. the, as long the as you're wind not whips underground up. or indoors. Yeah, you have to be outside. Yeah. Um, 
So that's like literally the storm from the X-Men ability. Can she do her stuff underground, Greg? Do you know? Um, yeah, I don't know for sure. I was, oh, I was, I'm I was never a big X-Men reader. I was I, I was an Avengers person. Greg, I, but I, uh, I think she did because she wouldn't be terribly useful if she wasn't. However, this seems less useful because in a classic D&D sense, you're frequently dungeon crawling and then mm-hmm. you can't use yeah, your 17th level. Yeah, well, 17th level. But she, it's just underground. It's not, not indoors. Oh, or indoors. Yeah, yeah so. yeah. so it strikes me as anytime you don't have access to the sky, uh, this doesn't work. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I'm pretty sure Storm could use hers anywhere because then I would she probably would home, be lame. I would probably home rule it. I, th- I would uh, say they could do it anywhere because yeah. otherwise it is rather, again, oddly specific yeah. for a capstone ability, you know. All right, moving down the list. We still are only halfway through. We're getting there. <laughs> trickery. The trickery domain. Now that one of the clerics in the Critical Eric's Role domain. season is a trickery cleric, and I mm-hmm. had never seen one before. Um, she started, Laura Bailey started playing hers, and uh, she does a good job with it. Uh, at first level, you can, um, a willing creature with a touch action. Um, other than other yourself. Other than yourself, give it advantage on dexterity checks. On uh, stealth checks. Only stealth. Yeah, just stealth. Dexterity. Oh, okay. So they yes. can make, yeah. which is handy. At low level, you're a first level yeah. cleric, you got a rogue. There you go. You got advantage, buddy. That's sort of nice. Okay. Uh, second level, you can uh, channel your divinity to create an illusion. Yeah. A duplicate of yourself. The last one minute, it is concentration, um, as if you were concentrating on a spell, but I don't believe it takes your concentration slot. So, uh, I'd have well, to... It says s- as if you were uh, concentrating on a spell. As if you were concentrating. Yeah. So, maybe it does. I don't know. I've seen yeah. a ruling on that. Um, you can like. move it as a bonus action. So, basically, it confuses your enemy, which is a, a unique ability. Um, mirror image also does sort of that, but it's a different mechanic. When a mirror image, when somebody attacks you, you can... Uh, they have a percentage chance of hitting your mirror image. So, it's like a uber cloak of displacement. Then that image goes away. Mm-hmm. This is basically GM DM fiat as to whether the monster thinks it's you or not. But you can position this. It doesn't just mirror your actions. You can move this wherever you want. So you could hide and let this this uh, du- duplicity um, kind of move illusion, about, move about, mm. make it look like it's you. And you can um, cast spells as if you were in the illusion space. So it is essentially just like you. Yeah. Uh, but can you cool. manipulate things with it? No, I don't believe you can manipulate. Okay. Uh, I don't believe so. Not, yeah, not no. in the way it's written. Uh, sixth level, you essentially get the invisibility spell without actually casting an invisibility spell. Uh, it's Cloak of the Shadows. Yeah, and I... You just It's an action. As an action. You become and, invisible. And there's no limit on that. Yeah. You could just use that over and over. Oh, well, it's Channel Divinity. So mm-hmm. um, you do have to use your channel. So I think you probably get two or maybe three of those max. But um, it's not like a once per long rest thing, which is sort of nice. And guess what happens at eighth level? Divine Strike. <laughs> doing extra damage. Why don't you just add that to the clerics in general? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Not all of them have it, yeah. but. Might as and well. 17th level, improved duplicity. Yeah. You know what? Not a fan. As a GM, not a fan. Anytime I have to add minis to the battle mat it annoys me that's why i hate the summon spells because all of a sudden we're going to take this combat we're just going to slow it down way down um this isn't as bad as that because these things don't actually get to attack on their own but um you know when the cleric hits their turn all of a sudden they got five movements to figure out which does slow things down a little bit 
Alright, so again, a big a lot of role play potential for trickery. Now we move on to the war domain. Yep. You are a uh, war priest at first level. Uh, of course, it makes sense that you would get martial weapons and heavy armor proficiency. Yep. Um, and uh, as a war priest, your god delivers bolts of inspiration to you while you're engaged in battle. Like, go get them, boy. Go, go. Yeah. And anytime you take the attack action, you can make a weapon attack as a bonus action. And Which is nice. This is at first level. So if you think about this, I could use a two-handed sword and get two attacks around at first level, which yeah. is more than a fighter yeah. or a dual-wield any class is going to get because yeah. they're going to attack twice with light weapons or maybe with long swords if they are you know a human and take a feat take a variant human so a fr and you know you're in heavy armor so you're actually the best fighter in the group at first, first level. level yeah which is sort of interesting you don't have many hit points but yeah. <laughs> second level guided strike this one's a little interesting uh especially the way it's written here in the uh, rule book uh, channel divinity to strike with supernatural accuracy. When you make an attack roll, you can use your channel divinity to gain a plus 10 bonus on the roll, but you make this choice after you see the roll, but before the DM yeah, says it's a hit. Which is miss. essentially an auto hit. When you're yeah. adding plus 10 to a roll, yeah. I mean, unless you, you know, a one, it's not going to make any difference because that's an auto miss, right. but anything else, plus it. Plus 10 is pretty substantial. Right. Oh, just one thing about that extra attack ability. You're limited to the amount of your uh, wisdom bonus and number of times a day you can do that. So it is a little limiting. But still, it, you know, it's a pretty powerful ability. Uh, but, yeah, Guided Strike is huge. A plus 10 bonus, I can't think of any other ability that mm -mm. gives that much of a bonus. Well, the one at 6th level as a War Priest, you can give it to somebody who's 30 feet. Uh, within, within 30, 30 feet, feet of you. you. Yeah, which if you have a war priest and a paladin, because of course, of course, the paladins have their smite loophole where they can smite as many times as they want. And they can decide after they roll, um, which I'm not a fan of. Um, but, uh, you know, the priest can make sure the paladin hits. The paladin can then smite. And if you're fighting something that's uh, vulnerable to radiant damage, yeah. there's a world of hurt coming their way. <laughs> Divine strike again at eighth level. And then at 17th level... You gain, uh, you become the avatar of battle. Uh, you gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons. Yeah, you know what? Not a fan. By the time there's you're lot, eighth level. There's a lot of rules on that one. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, it's going to save you some damage, but I don't know. It's it's okay. If you're getting attacked by a lot of creatures, maybe. Um or, sorry, a 17th level, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of the damage you're going to take is not going to be of that type. And you have so many hit points, what do you care? And you can heal yourself, so uh, it's okay. But the early abilities, that, that one's definitely front-loaded for abilities. Okay, let's uh, move on to some of those domains that are found in some of the other sources other than the player's handbook. We've got the death domain. Yeah, which is actually from the DMG. Hmm. Um so not legal for Adventures League play unless you have a certificate that you normally pay a lot of money for. Um, but some people do like to play the, a Death Domain Cleric. 
And do we even have that listed here? I'm trying to find it real quickly. Uh, do you have it? I have it, yes. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Uh, so at first level, you gain proficiency in just martial weapons. You don't get the heavy armor proficiency. Uh, nice. First level, you learn one necromancy cantrip of his or her choice from the yeah. spell list. Uh, Toll the dead. I'm sorry? Toll the dead. Yeah. Bring out your dead. <laughs> Ding. Uh, second level, channel divinity, the touch of death. Um, you can destroy another creature's life force by touch. If you hit it in a melee attack, uh, you can channel divinity to deal extra necrotic damage to the target. Very cool. It's equals uh, five plus twice his or her yeah. cleric. One thing level. about the death cleric, it's in the DMG because they make really good bad guys. Mm-hmm. Well, right? yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about them as PCs. Um, that that uh, first ability you mentioned too, if it targets one creature, you can actually target two creatures with it. So again, it's a bad guy ability because characters travel in parties. So anytime you can hit more than one at a time, that's yeah. sort of nice. Um, at sixth level, you've got your inescapable destruction, basically your necrotic damage uh, dealt by the cleric. Um, ignores resistance. Ignores to resistance to necrotic damage. Again, nice to use against you know bear totem barbarians or any anybody else that might have resistance. Divine Strike at 8th level. Um, you this, get your extra damage, yes. D8 or 2D8. Yeah. And Improved Reaver at 7th. Reaper. Seven, oh, I'm sorry, Reaper. I'm thinking the whole, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Firefly. Firefly, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 17th level, you can cast necro- Necromancy spells. First through fifth level. Wow. And if they well, and if they target would normally one, target one, one creature. If you cast a necromancy spell, so a spell of the necromancy type that normally targets one, you can target two, um, as long as they're within five feet of each other. Again, a great ability. Monsters tend not to travel in groups and stay within five feet, but um, you know the party party members do. So, all right. So uh, moving on to the forge. Domain. Yeah, and Forge Cleric's out of the Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, And that one, it's, again, uh, interesting one. You get proficiency, heavy armor, and smith's tools. Um, You get Blessing of the Forge at first level. You can imbue a magic into weapon or armor. So at the end of a long rest, you can touch a weapon or suit of armor, make it magic. Basically, it becomes plus one. Okay, well, that yeah, I can think of a lot of places where that would be super handy. Yeah, you can only use it once at first and level. What, what, at what level? That was first. First level. Okay. So. Yeah, that's cool because I got what I think. Uh, I think in our biweekly, I didn't have a magical weapon until what, like seventh or eighth level. Yeah. I was just walking around. Depending you know, on the campaign, yeah. it can be hard to get. Wow. And there's some creatures like were creatures. Yeah. That at first level, you're not ready for them, and all no. of a sudden, it's magic missiles. Everybody's relying on the magic yeah, missiles. Yeah, behind it down. the wizard. Yeah. So that's good. That's uh, cool. Second level, artisan's blessing. Um, so. Basically, you conduct a ritual, and you can craft a non-magical item. So you can craft hmm. a suit of armor, uh, and it can't be worth more than 100 gold pieces. So that does limit you a little bit. Yeah. Um, at 6th level, Soul of the Forge, you gain resistance to fire damage, which is never a bad thing, because there are a lot of fire damage effects in 5th edition. And you get plus 1 to your AC while wearing armor, which oh. makes you the most tanky cleric. <laughs> Nice. I, you know, I have the picture of the dwarf, you know, the dwarf yeah. working in the forge uh, who wow. worships Moradin kind of thing. Yeah, and it's kind of the one pictured in the book, too. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
Eighth level, Divine Strike. Get that extra damage on your attacks. And then your Capstone ability at 17th. Um, your Blessed affinity, affinity with Fire and Metal becomes more powerful. You are immune to fire damage. Wow. Which could, like, Not be really interesting. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to walk across that lava. <laughs> Huh. You know, um, and know. while you're in heavy armor, you gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. So, again, the other ability only gave you the resistance, yeah. but this one gives you the resistance and immunity to fire. This is this a sort of cooler, yeah, yeah a little cooler, right? Yeah. You know, that immunity to fire damage can be sort of awesome. Um, and it doesn't even matter if it's magical fire, like, you're just immune oh, yeah. to fire. Uh, so then we have. Our Grave Cleric, another Xanathar's Guide to Everything Cleric. Um, and this is another interesting role-play one. Basically, they uh, watch over the line between life and death. Um, one of the, the second cleric in the Season 2 of Critical Role is a Grave Cleric. One of the PCs died, and he came back with this this type of cleric. It's yeah, like and, a death cleric that couldn't make up his mind. And or, I would just like to point out, clerics, You, it's one of the classes that you could have a pure party of all that class and probably do pretty well huh interesting because they do have some area of effect damage spells the thing they're lacking is like counter spell which is huge but they do have silence they could do overlapping silence mm -hmm. and, and shut down casters bard's another one that but that, that could get away with it but clerics could you could do an all cleric party and, and mm, probably do pretty well hmm. um First level, you get the Circle of Mortality. So when you would normally roll one or more die to restore hit points to a, uh, with a spell to a creature at zero hit points, you again use the highest possible number. Yeah, and that leads to some interesting scenarios which fit perfectly for a, for a Grave Cleric where someone will be like, I have three hit points left, and this Cleric who basically is comfortable with death kind of thing is like, yeah, I know. I'll do better when you're actually dying. <laughs> yeah. So, like, and it's true. If I heal you now, I roll yeah. 4d8, which is going to be 14 damage, or 14 healing. Mm -hmm. And if I wait until you're at zero, I'm going to roll, I'm going to heal you for 32. <laughs> so I'd rather yeah. you were at zero. <laughs> Please, die now. Yeah. Uh, you uh, learn the Spare the Dying spare. Cantrip, yeah, and spare. it's used as a bonus well, action. But when are you going to use that? Because yeah. you can heal people for maximum hit points that they're zero. Right. Uh, let's see here. There's a lot of uh, description on these things, maybe because they are very, very manipulating rude. that line between life and death. Yeah, eyes of the grave. You can sense the presence of undead. Um, you know the location... Within 60 feet, if it isn't behind total cover and isn't protected from divination magic. Okay, Hey, see that thing over there with the flesh hanging off its bones? <laughs> That's an undead, and it's over there. <laughs> Come on, people. Yeah. Like, they need to get rid of the total cover portion of all those detections. Like, have it blocked by lead, have it blocked by magical th means or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they're all, like, 60 feet or th the paladin's the same way. Okay, if it's within 60 feet... I mean, the only time I've seen it used effectively is like when a party's like talking with an NPC and they're like, is this dude a vampire? I don't know. Is he? He's sort of gives <laughs> yeah, me the vampire vibe. Yeah. Then they're going to be like, I'm going to use my divine ability on the sly, you know, and see if he's undead. That's useful. Mm. But in most circumstances, you know whether something's undead and you know where it is because it's yeah. trying to eat your brains. Yeah. I must say that the uh, grave domain... Um, 
the the words they use, the the descriptions they use are far more entertaining than the rest of yes. these. Uh, at second level, path to the grave, you can mark another creature's life force for termination. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, you're. Uh, it has vulnerability to any attack damage um, yes. if it's within oh. 30 feet of you and you use your channel divinity. But it does take your action. Yes. Okay, to do that. But then it's you or an ally. It has vulnerability. Remember that paladin mm-hmm. smite? Yeah. Okay, so if I'm a cleric and I give somebody vulnerability to radiant and then the paladin smites something with its highest level spell slot. Yeah, boom. Oh, that's that's a big number. Sounds like a paladin and a cleric should be teaming up together a lot. Which which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sixth level. They don't. Uh, where's it at? Oh, sentinel at death's door. Yeah. You get to impede death's pro- uh, progress. Yeah. Basically, you turn within thirty feet. You can turn as a reaction. Turn a critical hit into a normal hit. Mm-hmm. Huh. That is actually an underrated ability. That's interesting. And you can use this feature the number of times equal to your wisdom modifier. Yeah, and you huh. regain long That's rest. Goodness. So yeah. there are a lot of critical hits. Monsters roll a lot of attacks, and essentially you are negating all the critical hits because they don't get that many. I mean, you're going to have a four or five wisdom modifier. So Now at 8th level in the grave domain... It's not really divine strike. You just get to add your uh, wisdom yeah, I think modifier. They alternate to a between either cantrip. one. You either get your wisdom modifier to spells, right. or you get the yeah. extra d8, two d8 to your weapon attacks. Philosophically similar. And then uh, at seventeenth level, the keeper of souls. You can seize a trace of vitality from a parting soul and use it to heal the living. Yeah. I love the way they're writing these things for the yeah, this domain. Yeah, this is a really well-done well, well done class. They've, somebody put a lot of thought into it. So basically, if an enemy within 60 feet dies, um, you somebody you can assign hit points equal to the enemy's number of hit dice, which usually isn't somewhere. It's usually between 10 and 18 at that level or 10 and 24, 24-ish, which is not a ton of healing. But um, you can do that once per turn. Which is sort of sort of nice. I mean, enemies do die. Usually at high levels, you're fighting more than one creature at a time. So that's sort of a cool ability. I, I like this this cleric. I've never played one, but I could see running a, a Grave Domain cleric. Okay, and then our second to last domain is the Arcana Domain. Yeah, that's from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Hmm. Um, do you see many of these? Have you seen anybody? I have read people who favor this class um, or this this domain, and we'll we'll see why in one second. Let's go through the abilities. Okay, so at first level, um, some proficiencies. You gain some proficiencies in arcana skill, uh, and, and you gain two cantrips of your yes. choice from the wizard spell list. Hmm. Now, here's one of the reasons they like this because wizard cantrips um, include. Booming Blade and Green Flame Blade. Oh. Oh. Right? So those are melee attacks, and here you are as a cleric that can melee. So that's one of the reasons they sometimes like that. Or melee. Um, Second level? Second level, Arcane Abjuration. You can, again, channel divinity to abjure otherworldly creatures. Uh, It's an action. You present your holy symbol yeah. and one celestial, elemental, fey, or fiend of your choice. Essentially, your turn undead now yeah. works for those celestials, elemental, fey, or fiends. Oh. Pretty handy ability. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, it's exactly, well, not exactly, but it's very similar to a turn undead. Yeah, and if at fifth level, they become banished. They don't just turn, they banish. Right. Oof. So, and no concentrations required. That's that's a pretty awesome ability. Sixth level, you are the spellbreaker. Yeah. Uh, you can restore hit points to an ally with a spell of first level or higher. When you restore hit points. Or when you do, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, you can also end one spell of your choice on that creature. That is huge. I mean, a lot of times there's detrimental spell effects. Somebody gets, uh, you know, blinded, mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, yeah. um, you just, don't. It's, it's gone. I'm it, going to hit you with a cure light, and you're also no longer blinded. And at 8th level, we get the cantrip uh, damage modifier. Yep. Instead of the divine uh. strike. And then finally, at 17th level, arcane mastery. You can choose four spells from the wizard spell list, one from each of the following levels. Wow. Yeah. Sixth, seventh, eighth, and, and ninth. This is why people take uh. it. Because you can have a cleric that gets wish. Or Gotta a make cleric a that's a long way. that gets time stop. Now, the problem with time stop as a pure wizard it's near useless because if you cast an effect that affects other creatures, time stop ends. No. Well, almost all wizard spells affect other creatures. The spells that you're going to be casting that don't affect other creatures require concentration. So there's probably one that you're going to be able to cast with a time stop. Well, why didn't you just cast that instead of using your ninth level spell to cast a time stop? Clerics, on the other hand, have a lot of spells that don't necessarily affect other creatures. They can affect themselves, and they can stack stuff, and and so they have a lot more options for time stop. Also, wish is a is an awesome spell to have, um, mm-hmm. to add to a cleric spell list. Um, so, so a lot of people like it because it becomes a very powerful character. Uh, you get the best spells of the wizard list six, seven, eight, and nine, and you still have all your cleric spells on top of it. Okay, and then finally on our oh, list. Oh, and they also take Simulacrum. That's the other oh, one. Oh. We'll take. So you got two clerics now, <laughs> one with half hit points. Uh, the it's last one, I think, is what? This has got to be the newest. This is domain? from the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Yes, the it is order the order domain. domain. And truthfully, I know nothing about it because I'm not a Ravnica fan. I, I like to keep my magic and my D&D separate. Apparently, this uh, has yeah. to do with. Uh, Something on uh, discipline in society or an institution. Sounds kinky. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, well, let's go through it. Um, At first level, you get heavy armor um, and proficiency in the intimidation or persuasion skill of your choice. uh, This goes along with my kinky theory. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, First level also, you invoke the power of law to drive an ally ally to attack. This is voice of authority. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Interesting tact you're taking here. Yeah. I'm going to make a new character, the S&M cleric. (laughs) Yeah. So you can okay. you only, cast a only spell wears, le- for only wears leather or vinyl armor. Yes, you can, yeah. <laughs> you can use a reaction. There, the ally can use a reaction to make one weapon attack against a creature. So it's essentially a commander strike, except you have to cast a spell to okay. use. Okay. Um, and here we're going to go even deeper into that whole S and M thing with second level orders demand. You can channel <laughs> divinity to exert an intimidating presence over others. Okay, if I make an S and M cleric, great. Can your daughter draw like a character portrait? She probably would. That would be funny. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah, sorry. We're getting distracted. Okay. Um, <laughs> any creature of your He's choice inspired. that you can see or hear within 30 feet of you must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be charmed till the end of your next turn. Everybody knows how I feel about charming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it takes your action. So, okay, yeah. you can charm a creature. Again, it goes, goes along with the S&M mm-hmm. cleric. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, sixth level. Can your holy symbol be like a whip or a riding crop? I don't see why not. Yeah. Okay. A collar. I don't see why not. A collar. A collar. Yeah. There you go. A leash. <laughs> we have to present your holy symbol. You guys know way too much about this hey, stuff. Hey, we I'm know about that Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable here. <laughs> oh. You're looking sort of cute in those headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Embodiment. I'm ready to be done. <laughs> Embodiment of the law. At sixth level, you become remarkably adept at channeling magical enemy energy. Energy. See, I'm so flustered right now. I know. To Can't compel read. others. Yeah, wow. <laughs> if you cast an enchantment spell, first level or higher, with a cast, you can change the spell's cast down one bonus action if it would normally be one action. So, and okay, I don't know. I'm confused on that so one. So basically, it's okay. like the quicken for sorcerers. You can oh. take an action... Mm. And change it to a bonus action, but it's only for enchantment. But the problem is, you can still only cast one spell a turn. So okay, it's uh, your next spell. Your action spell would have to be a cantrip still. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Eighth level, you get to infuse your riding uh, riding crop or your whip with divine energy. Yeah. Do extra damage. <laughs> yeah. uh, you should do a subdual damage. Yeah, though. It's psychic damage. S&M clerics always yeah. do subdual damage. <laughs> Okay. Order's wrath. Let's see what the what the dominatrix ability is. Okay. Um, enemies you designate for destruction wilt under the combined efforts of you and your allies. We also call this the stiletto of power. Yeah. Um, uh, you can curse uh, if you deal damage with divine strike. Uh, you can curse that creature until the start of your next turn. And and then and the cursed creature takes an extra two d eight psychic damage. I'm the taking psychic damage for this. Yeah. <laughs> you hurt them with words. <laughs> that is, that is, I'm making, that's Somebody. My, I will post it. We need a name for the dominatrix <laughs> wow. cleric. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Well, come up with something, but man, yeah, somebody was into something kind of weird when they were making this one up. That's yeah, Ravnica. Ravnica. Is that what all those? Ooh. Yeah, I I don't know that much about it. That was I stopped playing Magic a while ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know I've that never been a Magic fan. I recognize it as a Magic associated yeah. place. For every one of us that doesn't play Magic: The Gathering, there are thirty who do. I still have a bunch of the cards. You know, sell them off, make some money. Thought about it, but it's just, yeah. You know, I did that in the '90s, the Great Purge, and now I'm regretting it. So, yes, yes. I don't necessarily need the money now. I don't want to buy you. You mentioned earlier in the podcast you bought the Lankmar, yeah, uh, Fafford and the Gray Mouser adventure. I don't want to buy it, but can I look at yours? Um, Your copy, three dollars. No. (laughs) Sure. I'll I'll bring it next time. Oh, I do have one other little tidbit of information before we close up. So I'm going to D8 Summit, which is a charity convention up in uh, Utica. Or Utica. Utica. I don't know how they spell it. It's Utica. Utica. It's Illinois. Utica. Okay. You have have Leroy, which is capital L, small e, space, capital R-O-Y. That is Leroy. By any rules of pronunciation, <laughs> Greg, I don't think it's spelled Leroy. that way. That's is Leroy. It? Yes. If you look at the sign, there is a space and a capital is R. There? Okay. That is Leroy. And, and we also have Leroy. Des Plaines. 
Yes, and and Marseilles. Yeah. So don't Cairo. make fun of me Cairo. for for yeah. however the hell they pronounce that other town, <laughs> Havana. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the list goes on and on. So I'm surprised it's not Utica. Okay, <laughs> like maybe it is. It probably is. Anyway, how long you been living in Illinois? <laughs> too long. <laughs> um, so at the D8 summit, yeah, they have a it's DM cost. Eight. Date. 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 Maybe it's date. Yeah. I should bring out the SM Claire. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's just speed dating. Yeah. They have a costume contest because during the epic adventure that I'm helping DM, um, the DMs are supposed to dress up because at one point, I think people stand up and have to go find an NPC that is assigned to a DM. Mm -hmm. So I'm making a, a Xanathar outfit um, for my oh. costume. Xanathar is a beholder. Yeah. Who's, oh, gosh. It's this giant it's be like a... beach. It's a 30-inch beach ball. Oh. And the, the bottom eye stalks are going to be my arms. So I will post a picture. I only have like yeah. 10 days now to get it done. I've started it. Um, so trust. hopefully I'll have it done. I'll we post trust a picture, you will have it done. Post a picture online. All right. Well, it's be I... It's bloodshot. And, yeah. If you're out there and you're still with us, dear <laughs> listeners, um, we thank you. Yes. And uh, so I guess maybe we should call it a wrap, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm tired. It's, it's, clerics are I need a healing long. spell. Yeah. <clears throat> a minor restoration. Yes. Okay. Well, Greg, take us out. Yeah. If you uh, have any more suggestions for us, uh, that our, we've got a message, uh, which is why we are doing uh, Druid next time. Uh, you can get a hold of us on Facebook, where we are the Grognards. Uh, if you would like to tweet at us uh, on Twitter, we are at T Grognards. On Instagram, we are the underscore Grognards. And if you want to send that extra special regular email, we are gamers at the Grognards.com. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. For the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on. <laughs>